they sent out, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron uh, said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, till it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? 
See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. FYI. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father in heaven, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, teach us by your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, uh, we are looking at a passage from Exodus that was particularly important to Jesus and his teaching. And uh, most of you will know the famous words in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says what? Give us this day our daily bread. He teaches us to pray. And actually later in that chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this teaching where he says, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's worries are sufficient for themselves, you know, or, or today's worries are su is sufficient for itself. Do not worry about tomorrow. In both of these teachings, Jesus was meditating on this passage from the Old Testament where Israel was in the wilderness collecting their bread. And he says, listen, God gave to them day by day their bread and this is not just a lifestyle for the ancient Israelites. This is over 3,000 years ago. He says this is a lifestyle for us. It's described for us here. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live by daily bread? How do we live like that? And there are four things that I want to highlight in this passage. The why of daily bread the how of daily bread, the what of daily bread, and the who of daily bread. The why, the how, the what, and the who. And I think this passage actually is filled with practical wisdom for us. So we're going to jump right in. The first is the why of daily bread. Why does God want to walk with us and provide for us in a day-to-day -day basis? So the Lord says, you know, I'm going to provide for you. And he doesn't just give you a bank with a million dollars in it and say, you're going to be covered for a while. He says, I'm going to give you day by day what you need. And well, why does the Lord do that? Well, his intent is to do two things. To turn us away from false gods, from idols, and turn us to himself, to the living God. And you see those things in this passage. It's a, it's a process of turning our hearts is why he does that. So first, the Lord wants to turn our hearts away 
from false gods, from idols. And, you, you know, I mentioned this verse last week. We looked at it, if you were here last week, in verse 2. Look what it says. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now this is the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt are saying, we wish we could go back. Now uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, uh, says, that this, it says about this passage that that is the language of addiction. You know, when you're addicted to something, when you're in the midst of it, you hate it. And you say, I would do anything to get rid of this addiction. It makes me miserable. It's ruined my life. And you cry out to the Lord. And then once you get away from it, there is something that is pulling you back to it. And he says that's what the case was with Israel. Israel were slaves in Egypt. And when you go back in Exodus, they were crying out to the Lord, will you deliver us? How long are you going to leave us in slavery? They're crying out, please deliver us. Now they get delivered through the Red Sea and the Lord has set them free. And there is something in them that loves being enslaved. There is something in them pulling them back to Egypt. This is the way Keller puts it. You can get people out of slavery in an instant, right? God just delivered the people out of Egypt. But you can't get the slavery out of the people except through a long process. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of the Israelites yet. It was still living in their hearts. They were no longer slaves, but there was a remnant of slavery. And so that why, that's why God was going to have them wander for 40 years in the wilderness, is there was a process through which they were going to lo- let go of the slavery that's in their hearts. Now, this is the same for the Christian life. All of us, before we came to worship God, to give our lives to God, we worshiped other gods. And that could have been myself. I worship, you know, I'm my own God. Or it could be, you know, I worship my work or my success or I worship relationships and sex and romance or I, you know, worship recreation. It's whatever the thing is that no matter what it demands of me, I will say yes, sir, to it. Whatever it demands, I will say yes. No matter how much money, no matter how much time, no matter how much of my emotion and identity, I will give all of it to this God. And as Christians, Jesus has set us free and said, you are no longer a slave to these false idols. You become a son of God. You become a child of God. You've been set free. But our hearts are still in the habit of worshiping these other gods and these other idols and going back to them. And so the Lord has to show us what is in our hearts, and to begin to train us to trust him. How does God undo those habits and give us these new habits? I think it's important, one thing for us to realize is that one of the ways that God trains our hearts is through physical things, through our possessions, through the provision of our food and our clothing. These physical things God is using to train our hearts to find out, wow, God loves me. God is my father. He cares for me. And and he provides for me. This is a huge part of our spiritual life. So the why of daily bread, why does God want to provide for us on a day-to-day basis, not just give us a million dollars to provide for the next years so that we can just live on the million dollars, is he's freeing us from these idols. But the second thing is he's also turning us toward himself. And you can see that the the Lord's intention in these verses, look at what it says, verse verse 6. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. The goal is to know God. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now this, those verses I just read to you are, if you want to know what Exodus is about, those verses show you what Exodus, over and over throughout Exodus you hear, God's goal, even with Pharaoh, you know, when all the ten plagues are coming on Pharaoh, he says, I'm going to do these ten plagues, so you will know me. He says, I'm going to provide for Israel in the wilderness so that you will know me, to turn you to me and to find, to learn day by day what God's character is like. He's kind. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our needs. He hears our prayers. These are the things that he wants to train our hearts in. And um, I really believe that the way that God teaches you and me, how do you start to learn that God is a father who really delights in you? That when you speak to him, he, he takes your words very seriously. He's attentive and looking at you and listening to you. That is not the default of our hearts to believe that God is like that. How do you begin to believe that? It is through experiences of his provision. And, you know, for many of us, you know, maybe we grew up in homes where, you know, maybe we were mistreated by our parents, we were mistreated by other people as we were growing up. And all these kinds of thousands of instances where we, we already had a distrustful heart. We were distrustful toward God. We're born with a heart that's distrustful toward God. We're distrustful towards people. And then we come into a world where we're mistreated by other people, maybe even people close to us, maybe family members or friends who've, who've failed us and betrayed us. And each one of those experiences confirmed to our hearts, don't trust. Don't trust God. Don't trust people. Trust the idols. Trust yourself. Trust in recreation, trust in success, trust in work, but don't trust in people or trust in God. If you have thousands of experiences that have created that distrust in your heart, reinforce that distrust, I think you need thousands of experiences of God's faithfulness to train your heart that God is good. He loves you. He is for you. He listens to you. And the experiences come through your daily needs, and finding that God will provide for you. He, he listens to you. He cares for you. He's giving you a new stack of experiences that give you a new view of yourself and view of God and of his world. And so this is why God wants to interact with us day to day saying that we should learn to pray to him, give, me this, give us this day our daily bread, and to see that he's faithful. To turn us from false idols, to turn us to him. But the next question is, okay, not, that's why. It's why we live according to daily bread. But the second is the how. How do you live a lifestyle according to daily bread? And three practical things in this passage. Through work, through rest, and through remembering. So first, you see in here is through work. If you look at verse 13, what it says in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? 
for they did not know what it was. So the Lord is provi- and, and Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So the Lord has given them bread to eat. But then this is what it says. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can. The Lord providing for us does not mean that we don't need to work hard. That we need to go gather, get up every morning and gather the food that he has provided for us. And I would say, you know, this manna, the bread that's in the wilderness, I don't think gathering bread, manna, was necessarily glamorous work. And we will have at least some seasons in our lives that feel like this, that is simply get up and go get the bread that God has provided. Some of you may be in a job right now that you feel like that's what your job's like. I'm just, God has provided bread and I need to get up each morning and, and, and go get the bread that God has provided for me. And this was a commandment of the Lord. One thing that tells us, if you're in that situation, this passage tells us you may not be outside of, you aren't outside of God's purposes for your life. That's what he had for Israel. It was a season to say, I'm going to provide for you. You're going to have to work and you're going to have to go get it. And... Um, And it may be helpful for you if you're in a job like that to think that's what God's called me to right now is to simply go get the manna that God has provided for me. And this is his provision. But I think this tells us that um, everything that we have worked for is actually just gathering what God has miraculously provided. You know, some of you might say, well, I have a job that I love and maybe I get paid well. And my work really gets, you know, a lot of provision for me. And this passage is also saying to us, if we're in that situation, no, that was manna that God provided. And you went up and you got it. That is all God's provision. That's his miraculous care and provision. So in whatever kind of situation we're from, we're in, daily bread, the practice of daily bread is, comes through day-to-day work. But in contrast with work, we also see in this passage how daily bread also comes through rest, right? Rest is a major part of this passage. And in some ways, this passage introduces the whole concept of the Sabbath that's going to later come in Exodus and the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, to keep the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath. And this is what it says, verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Then again down to verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, work, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. There's going to be no bread. So there's, I'm going to provide for you extra on, on Friday, and then Saturday was the Sabbath. You're not going to work on, the, on, on Saturday. And um, there is a lot, actually, in this passage that you, we could just have a whole sermon on keeping the Sabbath. But I just want to focus on one thing. The Sabbath was so important for Israelites to learn that they were not slaves. Do you think Israel had a day off when they were in Egypt? Do you think the Egyptians said, you know, I want to make sure you have a day, don't do anything, kick back, nap, you know, have some good food. We, it's really important to us that you are, don't get burned out. We, wanna, we, don't, we, we, wanna, we don't want you to be overworked. The Lord says, the way I'm going to teach you, you are not a slave. I'm going to give you a new identity. You are my son. Is there is a day set apart, and every day, it says in Exodus 31, I'm going to sanctify you. 
I'm going to set you apart. You are going to learn your new identity by having a whole day set apart where I don't do my work. I worship God. I'm with God's people. I enjoy God's creation. And so um, this is an essential part of growth in our spiritual life and learning a new identity to turn from the false gods in our life to turn to the living God as the keeping of Sabbath. And some of you, uh, for some of you, the practice of daily bread may require more diligence in work. You know, some of you might say, you know, I need to get out. I need to <laughs> find a job. I need to ha- be positive about the work that God has provided me. I need to work hard. But for others of you, the practice of daily bread means stop working. You are not a slave. You don't live in Egypt. You are a son of the living God. You are learning a new identity. And the practice of Sabbath will teach you that. And keeping the Sabbath helps us to do a third how of daily bread is through remembering. So we have to work, we have to rest, and we have to remember. And there's remembering, uh, that is remembering God's faithfulness about how he has provided for us. And, you know, one of the things that I I think is so remarkable to think about God's provision, I was thinking about this. I don't know if this is true, but I was just imagining all the people in this room and take all the days of all of your lives and add them all up. I, I was, you know, I don't know, two or three million days is what I came up with. I don't know. It's something like that. It's two or three million days. How many of those days represent this room? Did you not have something to eat, not have something to wear, provided for? It's possible. I know I ran away when I was a teenager, so I slept on the street once. I, I did have not, but that was because of my own choice. But I think it's possible that we could have a whole room of people that say, I have not had a day where I couldn't find some food or had clothes. That is astounding. That is amazing. Oh, almost 100%. Now, there's pro- let's assume there's probably 10 days representing you. Someone's going to be like, I had a day, I had no food. Some, some of you may say that. Okay, even if there are 10 days out of 3 million, that is an incredible amount of provision. And then to think that we still worry about whether God's going to provide for us. He's literally at like 100%. Literally, I mean, incredible. And God has provided. We should remember that. And you see how faithful the Lord was for his provision in Israel. Verse 35, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land in Canaan. Every single day for 40 years, the Lord provided for them. He cared for us. And the Lord says to Israel that they need to remember what God has done. And look at how they're supposed to remember. Verse 31. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I feed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they say, we're going to take a little of this bread and we're going to put it, they actually put it in the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in God's presence. And this was a testimony, a reminder, God provided for us for 40 years. We need to remember God's faithfulness to us so that we won't worry that he will provide for us. So we see that the why of daily bread, why does God live, have us live according to daily bread? He, he's turning our hearts from idols to the living God. And the way we do that is through daily work, through weekly rest, and through remembering God's faithfulness. Now, when we remember the Lord's faithfulness, we will all say, okay, you know, I've had times where I've had a lot. 
I've also had times where I've had a little. You're right, maybe I've had food every day, but there's been, it wasn't that much food, or it wasn't that good of food, but the Lord has been faithful. And since there will be times of more and less, we also need to understand a third thing is the what of daily bread. What can you expect God's provision to look like in your life? My old pastor, Earl Palmer, when he would talk about the, the Jesus prayer, he says, you know, Jesus says to pray for your daily bread, not for your daily cake. And the simplicity of bread, he doesn't say we won't get sick. He doesn't say we won't die sometime. He doesn't say you'll get your dream job. He doesn't say you'll get married. This is what Paul says, 1 Timothy 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul says that if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. You know, I think clothing probably includes shelter. This passage, similar thing. Look at what it says in verse 17. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. The Lord provided just what they needed. And, you know, as I was preparing this sermon, I was asking myself, okay, what do I need to be content? Food and clothing, that is immensely simple. How many of us can embrace that? I, I thought I, I probably need a car. I know, you know, I, I guess I could have a bike in Bellingham, but then I, at least I need a bike. If I was walking everywhere, I feel like I'd be a burden to people. Maybe health insurance, I, I, I don't know. I think love is probably something that I feel like I need. Jesus does promise us that. He says if you're a disciple of Jesus, he will bring you hundreds of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers throughout your life. In this life, he will, he will, so he will provide love. But this is a question. What does it mean to be content? What do you need to be content? How do you define contentment? I would think of it this way. It means I am glad that I exist. My existence is good and amazing. Food and clothing keeps the existence going. And I'm amazed that I exist. And I'll give you a quote. If you turn to page three in your bulletin, uh, G.K. Chesterton this is, wrote a book called Orthodoxy. He's one of the most impactful books in my life. He has a chapter called The Ethics of Elfland. And this is from the ch that chapter. This is what he says. It's about his process of becoming a Christian. He says, the strongest emotion, this is even before he was a Christian, was that life was as precious as it was puzzling. The goodness of the fairy tale was not affected by the fact that there might be more dragons than princesses. It was good to be in a fairy tale. The test of all happiness is gratitude, and I felt grateful, though I hardly knew to whom. Children are grateful when Santa Claus puts in their stockings gifts of toys or sweets. Could I not be grateful to Santa Claus when he put in my stockings the gift of two miraculous legs? We thank people for birthday presents of cigars and slippers. Can I thank no one for the birthday present of birth? Chesterton says, you and I are all living in a fairy tale. And even if this fairy tale is filled with dragons and filled with sadness and heartbreak, it is a great gift to even exist in a fairy tale. 
just being alive is amazing. I, I was thinking about this week, I mean, just being a being that has eyeballs, being a being that has eyeballs, I can look for miles. I can see these colors. I can look at your face. I can focus on certain things. I can read letters. An eyeball is an incredible, magical thing, and I have two of them, and I get to have my life, you know, or to have two legs that are, can coordinate. I mean, they have an incredible amount of skill. I can run. I can juke you on the basketball court. I can do all these things with my two legs or a tongue that can taste these flavors and the thousands of flavors that come into my mouth in different textures, and it's so charged with the nerves. And... Um, I have a mouth and ears and a mind so that you and I, we can exchange complex ideas, deep meanings of philosophy and the mysteries of the world. We can talk about that. These are all plain things that I can do with food and clothes. And most of all, each one of us have been made in the image of God, which is food and clothing. I am a representation of the creator of the universe, profound, amazing dignity simply to be alive and to live in this fairy tale. To get to be a living being in this magical world is an overwhelming gift, and contentment says, give me enough daily bread to exist, and I'm amazed that I even just get to be alive. That is the what of daily bread. That's what God promises us. Is it possible for us to be content with that? Is it possible for us to be content? Now, I'm sure someone will ask, okay, this is a beautiful vision, simple life, day-to-day, daily bread, just providing, but, you know, what about saving, right? What about planning for the future? Isn't, isn't that a wise thing? Isn't that a good thing to do? Is God saying, you know, he only gives them the bread once a day, and they can't store any of it up? Isn't it a good idea for us to, you know, plan for our retirement? And, of course, the way we interpret Scripture is with other Scripture, and uh, other scriptures tell us that delayed gratification is good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But Jesus warns us, don't devote your life to storing up treasures. If you spend your life storing up treasures, storing up possessions, it will disappoint you. So this leads to the last question about daily bread, not just the why, to turn us from idols to the living God, not just the how, how do we do it? We, by working, day-to-day working, by resting every week, by remembering God's faithfulness. The what is learning to be content. I'm alive, and God has provided for me every single day. But last is the who of the daily bread. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that Jesus meditated on this passage when he had told us to pray, but there are actually other places where Jesus had meditated on this passage, and he interpreted it in a different way. Uh, in verse 4 of this passage, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. In John chapter 6, Jesus says these words, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread. There is a hunger in you that is even deeper than your physical hunger. And the provision of daily bread and God's provision is to point you to that deeper hunger. And Jesus says, I'm the only one who can satisfy that deep hunger. I'm the only one who can give you contentment. And so the training of daily bread is pointing us ultimately to him. He gives us himself in this bread every week as we come to his table. 
And Jesus says, uh, Jesus tells us to say to him, Jesus, you not only give me my daily bread, you are my daily bread. In you, I am satisfied, and in you, I'm content. Let's pray together.